the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Bud Elliott, Danny Cannell, currently on a Florida State recruiting trip. We are breaking down the ACC Coastal Division for you today. That means we'll be running through Miami. We'll be running through reigning division champion Pitt, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Duke. We got new head coaches up and down the roster. Uh, lots to get to today. A little bit of housekeeping. We didn't dive into that big old bag of mail all, last week, but tomorrow on Thursday we will. So there still is time. You go leave us a five-star review. Put your mailbag question in there. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Tom Fernelli at Chip underscore Patterson if you want to get a mailbag question in as well. Uh, we've got some bubbling going on. Uh, Big Ten media days, Pac-12 media days will start soon, so I'm sure there will be plenty to get to. Uh, Tom, do you, should we just dive right in? Anything uh, before we allow the general manager of Vanderbilt to get us started? Uh, no, nothing really to add to that. I mean, except that I'm very, very excited about media days continuing. They're just Endless, endless amounts of fun for media days. I listen. You're not helping the content machine. You and Danny coming out here just, just, just showing all the secrets that media days are just the same quote over and over and over again. But hey, if we can provide unique analysis, then we've done our part for the college football content machine. I, I will say, I, I know this is an ACC show. We're doing the coast today, but with the Big Ten starting off yesterday, I, I was not enthusiastic about. Like there was a whole lot of talk about Kevin Warren sounding much more impressive this time now, you know, because after the way things started in the Big Ten, and I would agree, he's in a much better spot now than he was when he first took over because he took over during the middle of a pandemic. But like hearing him talk about how USC and UCLA are going to bring, he's excited about the content opportunities that those schools are going to be bringing. And he mentioned the word disruption when it came to what, you know, the, the college football, like it's a tech company. <sighs> Yay! They, I, this is what I mean when I say that they're, they're not conferences anymore. They are streaming companies. That's all they are. And we are streaming live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. We are glad that you joined us. Uh, chat's already popping. If you are watching us live, hit subscribe, smash that like button. Then if you're listening to us later, well, then you or watching us later, uh, you can come and jump in on the fun as well. All right, time to get things started. So as always with the win total shows, we turn it over to the general manager of Vanderbilt football. As much as I think it's the, the under Count is a safe up. play, like I can't even. Count them up. Count them up. How many kids are going to win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. How many kids are going to win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. Did we ever find out if there was another schedule somewhere? No. It no, okay. it's it's and that I think was the uh, the bottoming out season for Louisville, which was mm-hmm. um, Bobby Petrino's last season. One of my favorites in college football, modern college football history, because never have I seen a team uh, not only lose but lose by so much that I think that their final seat it was like they were two and ten straight up, two and ten against the spread, and the spreads were getting larger and larger and larger, but they also continued to fail to cover those spreads. Just. Just really, really impressive stuff when you're not able to cover 28 in a conference game. But uh, (laughs) we turn our attention uh, to the top of the odds board in the Coastal Division. 
And we will begin with the Miami Hurricanes with an over-under win total of eight and a half, minus 115 to the over, minus 115 to the under at Caesar Sportsbook. The non-conference, it's all right at the beginning of the schedule. Bethune-Cookman, Southern Miss, Middle Tennessee. Hey, there we go. The Mario Cristobal era is going to get started. But boy, we will learn a lot about what the Hurricanes are going to be in 2022 as they've got a road trip to College Station to play Texas A&M in Week 3. You take a look at the conference schedule. Of course, we know they'll be drawing Florida State from the Atlantic Division. They also have a game at Clemson in late November in division play. You're going to have North Carolina coming to town. You're going to have Duke coming to town. Uh, You have to go Pittsburgh coming to town at the end of the season, going on the road to Virginia, going on the road to Virginia Tech. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, reigning ACC Rookie of the Year. Uh, You've got a couple of players on the defensive side that I have mentioned a lot, that I liked a lot. Leonard Taylor on the defensive line, James Williams in the secondary. They've done some work on uh, in the transfer portal to try to solidify that defense as well. Josh Gaddis is your high-profile offensive coordinator hire. Kevin Steele comes in to lead the defense. This is a Miami team that is expected to be near the top of the division, but the schedule that includes that Texas A&M and the Clemson game, or I think why we have the win total at eight and a half. So, Tom, where are you at with the Canes? I mean, you know where I'm at with the Canes. Anybody who's been following the show all offseason knows where I'm at with the Canes. I'm on the over. Now, it's not it's not as emphatic as an over as you might think. Like, I've, I've tried to rein in my excitement for this team all offseason because I don't want it to be another year where it's like it happens with Texas and Miami, where you just kind of get excited thinking, all right, this is the year. They're going to be back. They're going to be back. And then they're never quite back but i don't want to say miami is back but i do think that looking at the rest of this division i trust this team to be the best team in the division not a team that's going to be competing for a playoff berth not a team that i think has a really great shot at winning the acc but a team that i think is going to win this division more often than anybody else and i look at the schedule you mentioned the non-con i think three and one is a pretty clear start to this one with Bethune, Southern Miss, and Middle Tennessee. Those are going to be wins. The road trip to Texas A&M, difficult time seeing them winning that game, but we've talked about it. I'm kind of in the area right now where I feel like I'm going to take Miami to cover that week. I don't know if they're going to win, but I'm definitely going to take them to cover. And then you get into the conference like I think they have the best quarterback in the conference, and we have talked a lot. You know, Danny's always calling it the conference of quarterbacks, and there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the ACC. And I think Miami's got the best of the bunch in Van Dyke, but I do have some concerns that, you know, and I've voiced them before with Mario Cristobal, the way we saw him treat Justin Herbert and just the way that Mario prefers to play in general, like, it's more of the complimentary football kind of style where he wants to lead with his defense and then make sure the off- the offense is going to score points, but they're not going to do anything stupid. They're not going to make mistakes. They're not going to take unnecessary risks. And I feel like when I've got Tyler Van Dyke, I could take some unnecessary risks because he's one of the few quarterbacks, I think, in the country capable of making some of the throws. But I think that overall, you look at it, this is a very talented team. I think that they're going to be well coached. I think that they are one of the stronger teams in this division. And I look at the schedule and the way it breaks down, they get North Carolina at home. Virginia tech on the road is going to be tough. Virginia on the road. I'm not that worried about because I just, you know, spoiler alert. I'm not sure how high I am on the, on the who's this year, Georgia tech on the road. Come on. That's, I mean, who knows if he's going to be coaching them by that point. And then you finish with Clemson on the road before you get pitted home. And I don't think they need to win that Clemson game to win the division. And so I, I just look at them. I think that nine and three, is more likely than eight and four. I think 10 and two is more likely than seven and five and so on. Everything I have points this team to the over. And while I'm not, I don't think it's going to be one of my locks at the end of all this for the win totals. I do think that this is a team that's going to win nine games. There, is, there are two things that can happen at the same time. Number one, I can sit here and, and lay out my argument for and my prediction of Miami going over. And number two, I can also give you an it would be hilarious situation. Because... The it would be hilarious is where it falls into like Miami can't wash the Miami off because as I have laid out the Miami schedule, you mentioned it, Bethune-Cookman, I got it as a dub. Southern Miss, I got it as a dub. You go take a loss at Texas A&M, but it's one that really builds confidence in what Mario Cristobal is doing and what this team can accomplish. Come back home, you beat Middle Tennessee, you beat UNC, you go on the road, you beat Virginia Tech, Duke. Virginia, you win that rivalry game against Florida State. You go into Atlanta, as you mentioned, who knows where even the heart of that team is. 
And then I could see them just losing both of them. I could yeah. see in the yeah. same way that in the 2017 season, Miami reached, I think, number two in the college football playoff rankings with like a 10-0 and start after beating Notre Dame at home and, and just going on that long run, great defense, sort of piecing together the offense with duct tape. But then at the end of the year, uh, they lost their final two games and maybe even lost their final three games if you include the bowl game against Wisconsin as well. And so that's where the Miami at Clemson Next to last game of the season, they're both way up in the rankings and, and everything's sky high because I'll tell you what, the hardest thing for Miami to do is going to be to turn around from that Clemson game and be able to play its best football against a pit team that is going to be more than happy to make that game uncomfortable and is going to be very well prepared to turn that thing into a rock fight. So that end is so, so challenging, but yet even as I have like broken all this down and run all the chipolytics for the eight and a half, I'm absolutely still going over. I think there is a gap. Uh, and even as I'm predicting a loss to pit, I think there's just a gap right now between Miami and the rest of the division that other teams are not going to be able to close that gap. And I think that Mario Cristobal, while the offense is not going to be able to put up the same numbers that it did last year, at least in terms of the passing game and Tyler Van Dyke, uh, Bud Elliott it was sitting next to me at the ACC football kickoff. And like, you know, he's, I, Tom, I got to see Bud's spreadsheets. <gasps> there are so many tabs open at once. I have no idea what kind like of a light glowing out of them. Or- <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, on the spreadsheets, you know, I could see the, um, the past, uh, the past targets that are gone. And mm-hmm. he, he pulled up Miami's and we were sitting next to him. He's like, where? Who, who are these balls going to be going to? Like the number of uh, wide receivers and passing options, something that it's going to be like very concerning. And so I think that we can potentially see Miami do a little like Oregon thing where they're just going to win at the line of scrimmage. They got an NFL quarterback and you know, he's going to be able to make the throws you need to make, take a couple of risks. But the Hurricanes, I believe, will win the Coastal Division. The Hurricanes, I believe, will go nine and three. Well, you mentioned that game at the end of the year where you think Pitt will be comfortable, you know, rock fighting it up. I think that's the one thing that's going to be different about Miami this year. I don't think this is a team that has been equipped or prepared to play in those kind of games in recent seasons under the the most recent coaching tests. I think Mario will be more than happy Mm, to get down in the mud and get in a rock fight with you. I think that's what Mario's going to want to do. So when it comes to those, like, I think they can out-talent teams a lot. And I think when they get into those kind of situations – I think that's kind of the mentality that Mario likes. I think they're going to be more ready for those games than they have been in the recent years. And in terms of the uh, the Coastal Division, as a you know, this will be our last year of the Coastal Division. It was it's really been a beautiful Rip. thing. I mean, seven different division winners in seven years. You know, from Duke in 2013 to Virginia in 2019, and all daggum seven of them in between. It, it really was has been magical. So many five and three tiebreakers that you know all came <laughs> down in the month of uh, November. But I also want to point this out. Uh, the media did predict Miami to win the ACC Coastal Division at the media days. Uh, this is a reminder from Josh Graham uh, on, the, on the radio in the triad. He said, the media has incorrectly picked the Coastal champion eight of the 11 times out of the last 11 times in the preseason poll. And Miami has been picked to win the Coastal six times and has only converted on it once. So history can be made if the Hurricanes picked to win the Coastal cannot have it break like it has four out of the last five times where they don't do it. And if it they do convert after being picked to win the Coastal for only the second time in, as uh, at ACC Media Days. Wasn't there something similar, though, with like the SEC for a few years there? Like the media couldn't pick the win- winner of the league either. Was it the the entire league or was it the West? I can't remember. It was something like that, but it was it was either the West or the league, and they got it wrong for like six or seven straight seasons. And I think the lesson here is not so much that football is unpredictable as much as the media is very dumb. No, 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 no. The yeah, media is lazy. Not necessarily. True. Okay, just that's dumb. actually a, that's a great way to put it. Yes, <laughs> because if I remember the stretch, the stretch included like. Auburn wins it in 13, Auburn wins it in 17, LSU wins it in 19. And I would bet that most of those Alabama years was just Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. 
Well, because here's here's the one thing. Like, if for listeners and viewers, here's here's a peek behind the curtains. When like those things come out, like you know, like you said, you released the media preseason polls. Like this team's going to finish first, and it had 45 first place votes. Those are sheets of paper generally given to us. Like when we show up at the event, they're like, "Quick, fill this out." So there's usually not a whole lot of thought. Now, some people go through a whole bunch of prep for that kind of thing, but I would say 80% of the voters are just like, all right, um, yeah, this team's going to finish first, this one second. So don't put too much stock into that. And, and don't forget uh, the group think that happens at the hospitality section. <laughs> because that's you know just just packs of of sports writers just like mm-hmm. looking at you who, who you got 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 well i got this i got this and then all of a sudden everybody's on the same page and oftentimes uh it is the wrong page yes uh chat does mention even georgia tech got a vote to win the coastal uh anything yeah, absolutely yeah. anything can happen they can in- let anybody vote <laughs> <laughs> How many games are going to win this fall? So we turn our attention to the reigning ACC Coastal Division champs. They won the division for the second time last season. It is the Pittsburgh Panthers. They've got an over-under win total of 8.5 at Caesar Sportsbook. Over will cost you minus 120, under at minus 110. We are thrilled that the uh, that week one, not the college football season, that'll be week zero, but week one's going to get started with a renewal of the backyard brawl. Uh, West Virginia and Pitt, that game will be in no longer the big mustard bottle, but now the big corporate solutions or insurance something. Acu something, acupuncture solutions, Acu- I don't know. Acupuncture Stadium will play host to the renewal of the backyard brawl. Uh, then Tennessee, remember that Pitt-Tennessee game was nuts last season. That is the return visit. That is also going to be uh, in Pittsburgh. They go to Western Michigan and Rhode Island. Then when you get into conference play uh, from the Atlantic Division, Syracuse will be at home. They go to Louisville in late October. And then for the division draw, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, uh, Duke are all going to be coming uh, to Pittsburgh. They've got to go on the road to play Virginia. And we mentioned that Miami game as well. So compared to some of the teams that we break down here, Pitt does not have UConn like half the Atlantic division does on the non-conference. So with West Virginia and Tennessee on there as well, what do we think about Pitt at over under eight and a half? Well, I'll start with the schedule here because you mentioned it. It's West Virginia, Tennessee at Western Michigan, Rhode Island in the non-con. I don't think I want to be clear. This isn't what I'm predicting to happen, nor do I think this is likely to happen, but I think a one in three start is far more likely than you would want in a non-conference, just based on these games. Because they could lose to West Virginia. They could lose to Tennessee. We saw them lose to Western Michigan last year, so now they're going on the road. Like, Rhode Island is the only one of those games where I'm like, that's a gimme. So I think 2-2 two and two is much more likely, obviously, than 1-3, and three, and I think 3-1 and one is more likely. I'm just saying, it's within the realm of possibility, so don't completely dismiss it. I, uh, I'm i on the under, though, and it's not just because of that, because I do think they go 3-1 and one through that stretch at, at worst. But... I mean, there's the obvious reasons to be pessimistic about this team. Obviously, Kenny Pickett's gone. Jordan Addison is in USC, and Pat Narduzzi's kind of treating that situation the same way Oklahoma fans treated Lincoln Riley leaving. Like, I don't care at all. That's why I talk about it all the time, because I'm not mad. (laughs) But it's that. But then there are other kind of factors in play, going back to Narduzzi. And we saw with some of the quotes at ACC Media Days, he's got that big DC energy going where it's like he's been throwing Mark Whipple under the bus because he wanted to pass all the time. And it's like, well, Pat, like that worked pretty well. He, he had he a Heisman finalist and a Bolitnikoff award winner. Your quarterback oh, and, and your he the best yeah. in the country. Yeah, you won the conference and you got to go to a made, you know, you got to go to the Peach Bowl. Like, cool. You The lesson should be shit. We should throw the ball more than we do. But it's like it sounds like he wants to go back to just kind of being in a rock fight. And you know what? Maybe the personnel he has, that's what it dictates. Maybe he feels without Addison. Maybe he feels without Pickett. That's just kind of what they have to do. We're going to lean on our defense. We're going to do all that. Great. I just don't think that you have nearly the same kind of ceiling that you had last year playing that way. And I think that this win total is based off of what we saw last year. And it's still a little too high because of, you know, recency bias. Another factor at play here is, and it's something I've mentioned for plenty of other teams. So it's only fair if I do it with Pitt, like Indiana fans, you're going to be happy to hear this one points off turnovers last year. Pitt finished eighth nationally with a plus 56 and points off, points off of turnover margin, which 
as I've gone over, elite teams tend to be at the top of that every year because they're elite teams. They don't turn the ball over. They force turnovers. But for non-elite, highly, you know, like as Bud would consider like Bud's blue chip team is the teams that recruit really well. For everybody else, it's hard to maintain that year after year. So when you see Pitt did so well in that stat last season, and they're going to have a new, not as experienced quarterback in charge, and they're not going to have kind of the safety valve that they had at receiver, it's safe to assume that that's going to come back the other way. And if you look at Pitt last year, they went three and three in one score games. If they lose some of that turnover margin and they're in there's more of those one score games and they're not getting the benefit of those turnovers, that three and three could become two and four. It could become one and five. You know, it could be a losing record, which will make it difficult to get to nine wins. I don't think Pitt is going to fall off the face of the earth and go six and six or five and seven. I think that they're too good of a team to do that. But I think eight and four against this schedule, considering what they've lost, considering the the state of mind their coach seems to be in and some of the regression stats, I think eight and four is a lot more likely than nine and three, so I'm going under. I've got three and one in the non-conference. I've got uh, at Louisville as a loss. I've got at North Carolina as a loss. That game in that series is a little bit funny. I mean, it just, just has been over the years. It is a pit team that... I do not think has the offense to be able to pull away from anyone, but very good. They've got bring almost everyone back along the offensive line. Defensively, they're going to be great up front. And I love them at the linebacker position. A little bit on the back end that I do think needs to be replaced, but it is a great Pat Narduzzi team. Uh, when Pitt won the ACC Coastal Division in 2018, they did so with two 1,000-yard rushers. They just got hot, went 6-2. and two. They started 0-2 in conference play and ran off six conference wins to close the year. And it was just one of those uh, momentum things offensively where because of a good defense, because of a good running game, they were able to uh, win those necessary games. And so, you know, looking at that, uh, I look at them and think, you know what? They are going to be able to uh, go up against some of these other ACC opponents, and they are going to be able to rely on that and just win a lot of close games. I don't think they're going to have the same points off turnovers because I just don't think they're going to have as many points. I think it's going to be a lot of low-scoring game. It's going to it's going to get very, very nervy. But it is a team and a program that for better or worse, 100% reflects the identity of the head coach because they play with enormous intensity. They play very aggressively. They might get burned for a 60-yard touchdown, but they also might get the sacks and interceptions that lead to some of those turnovers and points off turnover um, uh, statistics. They also are going to play very physical. They also tend to be one of the more penalized teams uh, Mm -hmm. in the ACC. So again, like for better, for worse, Pitt plays like Pat Narduzzi wants them to play. And I just think that from a personnel perspective, the offensive line, the defensive line, and uh, and just sort of where they are in general is going to allow them to win some of these games. So I I got it again. West Virginia win, Western Michigan win, Rhode Island win, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Virginia, Duke. I mean, it's really only until that Miami game at the end where I kind of am doing it. It would be hilarious pick there. I think Tennessee's a loss. I think at Louisville's a loss. Uh, I think Malik Cunningham is the kind of quarterback that can make an over-aggressive defense pay. And mm-hmm. then at North Carolina... I will admit that's that's a little bit more of a series history play than anything else, just because it's been a little bit of a strange game. But you know, when North Carolina and Pitt were playing, and you had you know two quarterbacks and two offenses that were able to duel it out, you know that was something that was a, a good thing for Pittsburgh. I'm just not sure if that's going to be the case this year. So give me uh, give me a very very slight, not confident, not rushing to bet it over. I've got Pitt at nine and three. Defensible. Count them up. Count them up. (laughs) Quiet. (laughs) Easy. We got ghosts in the soundboard over here. Um, All right. That speaking of, that turns our attention to the North Carolina Tar Heels. They are over under win total at the Caesar Sportsbook of seven and a half. Over at minus 105, under at minus 125. It's a it's a fascinating little schedule here. So they will be playing in week zero against Florida AM and then hit the road for back-to-back road games against 
pretty good, if not very good, Sunbelt opponents. An App State team that we expect to be contending for a Sunbelt title. They were projected at Sunbelt Media Days to win the East Division. And then a Georgia State team that we have seen on the uptick in the last two seasons. They follow that up with Notre Dame at home. So again, at App State, at Georgia State, Notre Dame, uh, along with that Florida A&M, very tough non-con. You get into the conference play, and they, <clears throat> excuse me, and from the Atlantic Division, they'll be drawing Wake Forest. That'll be in Winston-Salem, and then they will close the season against NC State. In the Coastal Division, they get Virginia Tech, Pitt at home, Georgia Tech at home as well. They got to go to Miami, to Duke, to Virginia. Uh, seven and a half for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Where are you at as we have Sam Howell gone, two quarterbacks, not sure which one's going to start. Gene Chizik comes in as our new defensive coordinator. Uh, how do you read this team? Not betting anything here. Uh, my my projections, the totals oh, at seven yeah. and a half. My projections, I don't have as many spreadsheets as Bud, but I do have my own. I have North Carolina at 7.7 wins. So that's kind of where I stand on the over by point two. Um, this is it's a difficult team to get a read on general because you mentioned what's missing from the offensive side and how they're going to replace that and what it's going to look like. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be for certain yet. Defensively, they were awful last year. Gene Chizik's coming in, but Gene Chizik, you know, he's been sitting at a desk in the SEC network for the last few years. I it's like I. I, we'll see how much he can improve the defense. The good news is it's going to be hard for it to be much worse than it was last year because if you look at their overall numbers, it's like you can't find anything that North Carolina was good at defensively. They were they're in the bottom, like they were past 100 or worse as far as overall rankings and a whole lot of stats. And what's odd to me is the one area they were actually good defensively was in the red zone. So it was like Bud calls it the red zone roulette. They did a very good job of playing red zone roulette in that they ranked 38th nationally in red zone efficiency as far as long touchdowns. But the problem there is I have no idea why. Because if you look at the other numbers, it's not like they were a team that was good against the run and once you got it, they got you into a compacted space and took some stuff away, they could take you down. Because they couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't stop the run. But for some reason, teams didn't score touchdowns against them in the red zone. My inclination is maybe they just got lucky and teams just, their opponents screwed up. I don't know. I have to go back and watch all of it and I don't have the time to do that, but just looking at the numbers, that's what my initial reaction is looking at them. So I wonder if we're going to see that kind of go the other way, which won't do much to help them defensively. And you mentioned, you know, the, the schedule, like that's a very tough start to the season. Like Florida A&M, they should win. But getting App State and Georgia State on the road is tough. Like I could easily see the Tar Heels going into Boone and losing to the Mountaineers. I think they'll beat Georgia State, but Georgia State's kind of a tricky team. And it's not, I know it's on the road, but it's not like there's a tremendous road or like home environment for the Panthers there. So I don't think that's too big of a problem. But then after you get that bye week, like the conference starts with Notre Dame, which I know it's not a conference game, but it's part of your conference schedule with the agreement. Um, Virginia Tech, which I think they should win at home, but that's going to be a tough game. Then you've got Miami on the road. So you look at those first six games. It's like, man, they could be two and four, three and three. And then the second half of the schedules where things lighten up a little bit. So I think, like I said, my numbers say 7.7 wins. So I lean towards the over personally. I think seven and five is probably more likely. So my heart says under my head says over, which is why I'm not betting it. But for the show purposes, just based on the projections, I'm going over by the absolute slimmest of margins under us. And seven and five is a seven and five is North Carolina football season, baby. I mean, I'm just really getting thrown back into my, like my, my John Bunting, Carl Torbush kind of roots right here. And, and, and as I've seen what Mac Brown has done, because Mac Brown uh, in the short amount of time that he's been back in Chapel Hill, there has been exactly one three-game regular season winning streak and exactly one three-game regular season losing streak. Win, loss, win, loss, win, two, lose, one, lose, two, win, one. Um, there's just no consistency here. And some of the wins have been fantastic and some of the losses have been befuddling. And so as I as I look at the schedule, I do think that it is possible, and I already mentioned, I think that I'm giving North Carolina a win against Pitt. I think that would be, you know, a phenomenal victory. I also think that losing in Boone is something that I feel comfortable projecting. Georgia State, we mentioned that it's tricky. 
The reason why I have a little bit more confidence is they did play just last season and it was 56 to 17 North Carolina. So Mm -hmm. uh, granted we're losing Sam Howell. We got some turnover, but the 2021 Tar Heels were already a group that fell way, way short of expectations. And that's why I think that North Carolina is fascinating because, you know, we looked at the offensive line last year. We said they're bringing all the guys back and they were kind of bad. Um, or at least they did not, they were not able to impose their will in the way that we expect an offensive line with all that experience to be able to do so. Uh, Ty Chandler had a thousand rushing yards, but it did not seem in key crucial situations that that offensive line was able to either A, give Sam Howell enough time, or B, be able to clear the lanes for them to have the kind of, you know, third down red zone performance running the ball that they needed to. Josh Downs at wide receivers, one of the best in, in the entire ACC. But it is with Gene Chizik and the defensive side of the ball that it becomes interesting because Chizik is back in Chapel Hill. He was the defensive coordinator actually under Larry Fedora in 2015. And when he showed up, the defense improved and UNC went on an 11-game winning streak and made it all the way to the ACC championship game as the Coastal Division champs. I'm not predicting the Coastal Division championship is going to also follow Gene Chizik and his arrival here, but the more talented side of the ball when it comes to the top-level talent, is on the defense. And the defense hasn't been great. And so what's going to happen? Can Gene Chizik get uh, the defensive staff, which includes some holdovers from uh, the group that worked under Jay Bateman, can he get them aligned? Can he turn all of these blue-chip recruits that have helped North Carolina? Bud mentioned they were right on the fringe of the blue-chip ratio, one or two good classes away from having that greater than 50% mark that you need to be able to make the blue chip ratio list. Like, are you going to be able to take uh, those highly talented, those, you know, highly projected players and flip them into a dominant unit? Cause we have yet to see that. And that to me is going to be the biggest difference. Uh, I've got the wins, Florida, A&M, Georgia state, Virginia tech, Duke, Pitt, Virginia, Georgia tech, I've got the losses App State, Notre Dame, Miami, Wake Forest, NC State. I've got them seven and five. I've got this thing going under. How many games are going to win this fall? Coming up on the other side, we continue with the ACC Coastal Division. We look at Tony Elliott taking over at Virginia, Brent Pry taking over at Virginia Tech, Mike Elko taking over at Duke, and Jeff Collins in a pressure-packed situation trying to avoid a fourth straight three-win season at Georgia Tech. All that and more next The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Cover 3 listeners, we are so thankful for all that you do for us. And we've got one request. We've been mentioning it a lot, but we would love if you could nominate us all the way to the final round in the People's Choice Podcast Awards as we are a nominee for Best Sports Podcast. 
All you need to do is go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, toggle down to the sports category and nominate the Cover 3 podcast. The whole process takes less than 60 seconds and we will include a link at the top of the episode description as well. And if you are one of the many that are watching us right now on Facebook Live, do us a favor. Head on over to the YouTube page and subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover3. We'll drop the link in the comments right now to make it easy for you. Again, if you are one of the many across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network that are watching us live, head on over to that YouTube page and subscribe right there as well. So now we turn our attention to Tony Elliott taking over at Virginia, and it's it's interesting because Tony Elliott, you know, he's been a head coaching candidate for a long time. And one of the thoughts around the league is, you know, why Virginia? Why now? Is it what about this is going to, you know, make it a good fit? He does inherit as a former offensive coordinator, one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC and Brendan Armstrong, a great pair of wide receivers in Keaton Thompson and uh, Dontavian Wicks. And he does have a schedule where I do think reaching a bowl game in year one, something any first-year coach would like to do, is manageable. The win total at the Caesar Sportsbook is a round seven with minus 105 to the over and minus 125 to the under. We loved it, it, this program has been Tom's beloved who's at times. And we loved watching this Virginia team play offense last year for all the creativity and the different ways uh, that Bronco Mendenhall slash Robert and I were able to move everything around. What are your expectations for Virginia, and what are you doing with the win total of seven? I don't think the offense is going to be as entertaining and fun, as interesting as it was last year, because they were doing all sorts of weird, wacky, wild stuff, and it was just enjoyable to watch. But I do think it's still going to be pretty good for the reasons you mentioned. Like I, I think Tony Elliott, is going to come in. He's got plenty of pieces to have that offense humming pretty quickly. And, you know, not maybe I'd say they're probably going to score 30 points a game still. Like, I, I don't think there's going to be two huge problems there. The problem was that last year, and I think the problem that will remain this year is defensively. Like this is this very similar situation to North Carolina where last year's defense was awful. And they didn't really stop anybody. And I'm not sure what has changed in the one offseason to make me think that they're going to be able to take a giant step forward to continue stopping teams this year. And another thing to look at, too, is even with that offense, like this is indicative of the kind of defense that they had. Last year, the offense scored a ton of points. The defense allowed a ton of points, which is why even though they were scoring so many points, the Cavs ended up in four one-score games. They went three and one in those games, outscoring opponents by six points in them. And so that tells me, you know, pretty coin flippy situation. One play here or there can really have changed the outcome of those games. And their turnover margin in that was minus two. So I think that they could have just luck turning against them a little bit, which would make it harder to go over. And when I look at the schedule, Richmond is a win. Illinois on the road, I'm giving to the Illini, but I think they can win that game. Old Dominion at home should be a win. Syracuse on the road, that's a coin flip. Duke on the road, win. Louisville at home, we're high on Louisville this year. I, I don't see that being a win for the Hoos. Then they get Georgia Tech off the bye on the road. I think they can win that, but you get to that last half of the schedule, man. It's like then you go on the run of Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, and Coastal. They're all at home. But that's, that's a tough four games like yeah. Miami, North Carolina, Pitt and Coastal is going to be a good team. And then you finish up having to listen to enter Sandman at Lane Stadium against Virginia Tech, a team that you've beaten a few times recently. But for the most part, you haven't had the best of time against your in-state rival over the last few years, particularly at Lane Stadium. So I think that this team is going to finish six and six. I think they're going to get to a bowl game, but. Like seven and five, which the total is at seven. Seven seems like the probably the best case scenario here. So it's hard for me to go over because I just don't see eight and four. I'm taking the under. I, I think that's far more likely. Yeah, that's the schedule breakdown is fascinating because when I list out the wins and I went list out the losses for all these teams, oftentimes in the losses. It's like at this, at this, at this. It's not often that I'm like, yeah, no, I've got four home losses in conference play for this team. But from October 29th to November 19th, as you mentioned, 
three of the top teams in the ACC Coastal Division and mm-hmm. one of the Sun Belt uh, picks to potentially win in Coastal Carolina. That is going to be a test of, uh, and here we go with the knuckle dragging again, like Scott Stadium, all of you good-looking ties, well-dressed fans, like if you can make Scott Stadium a tough place to play, if you can turn it into a real home field environment, then maybe we start to flip a couple of these games. I just struggle based on history, both recent and historical, to look at Scott Stadium across the ACC as a place where you are going to uh, have a big-time difficulty dealing with the environment. I Listen, I, I say the same thing about uh, Chapel Hill. You know, I say the same thing about uh, a lot of ACC schools. I think that that is really, really difficult to play all of those diff- top opponents, Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, and Coastal, all in a row, and maybe you flip one of them, mm-hmm. but I've got them all as losses. I've got uh, at Illinois as a loss, and I've got at Syracuse as a loss. I think that could be tough just because it's early in the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned the Robert and I factor here. I mean, that is like Syracuse's offensive coordinator came from Virginia. Certainly plenty of personnel notes about what Syracuse's defense might be able to do against Brennan Armstrong. And Syracuse will need it in the worst way. So that's where I think I go. I'm I'm giving the edge based on like established head coach gets the rookie early in the season. If Syracuse and Virginia are playing in late November, I go Virginia, but because they're going to be playing in late September, I gave it to Syracuse. And like you mentioned, with a round number of seven, eight and four would be a fantastic debut for Tony Elliott. I think six and six is far more likely. Yeah, I think Virginia, like every year there are those teams where you don't have high expectations for them and then they get off to like the good start and then everybody's like, hey, look at these guys. Pleasant surprise for this school. And then the second half comes and they, you know, come crashing back to earth. I think Virginia is a very strong candidate for being one of those teams this year. Count them up! To another first-year head coach with the Virginia Tech Hokies, Brent Pry coming over after being the defensive coordinator under James Franklin at both Vanderbilt and uh, Penn State. Uh, He's a Virginia native. He spent time as a graduate assistant under Bud Foster at Virginia Tech. He was there really right as um, Frank Beamer was getting that program up and starting to turn it into the power that it became uh, in the late 90s and throughout the 2000s. He's got a lot of passion for trying to lean into his Virginia roots, and I think that that has allowed the the Hokie fan base to really embrace him in a way that maybe they never had that same connection with Justin Fuente. Speaking of Justin Fuente, the personnel situation is uh, a little bit transient. We've had Mm -hmm. to go – we've had a lot of names out. We've had a lot of names in. The quarterback position, we got Grant Wells from Marshall and Jason Brown from South Carolina – Grant Wells is very productive at Marshall, you know, threw for a whole bunch of yards. And, and Jason Brown did beat Florida and Auburn at, in two of his four starts for South Carolina and Shane Beamer last year. But trying to get uh, some big-time play out of that side of the ball is going to be interesting given what I'm looking at from the depth chart. Uh, Over-under win total of 6, minus 120 to the over, minus 110 to the under. The non-conference schedule includes at Old Dominion, you got Wofford at home, West Virginia at home, and also Liberty on the road. So no non-conference games outside of the state. Smart. Smart. That's good for your first-year head coach. Uh, what are we doing with the Hokies? All right. So when it comes to my trying to do these win totals and projections, I do two things. There's the one, like I mentioned, North Carolina, I have projected for 7.7 wins. There's the math version, which is just that. And then I also go through game by game on my own old school style and pick who I think is most likely to win. Then at the end, I see what the records I have are. Turns out I'm a lot higher on Virginia Tech than I realized. Me too. I don't like it. (laughs) I I have this team going over. I think that this total, like, I don't think they're going to win the division. But I think that, you know, six, I think they can get to a bowl game. I think they can get to seven and five. I think that this schedule is manageable for them. And I think that, you know, I think this could be a situation where just having a new coaching staff in place 
and a different kind of voice and a different kind of just, I don't know, familial feeling could have a pretty large boost on the product that goes out there on the on the field because we saw like the last few years like there was so much stuff coming out of Blacksburg with Justin Fuentes with in his tenure there that was just negative and it seeped through onto the field and you thought at the beginning last year when they beat North Carolina like okay cool things are back and then you know they quickly fell apart again and we had a down season with the Hokies but I think that just the vibes of this program are much better this year and I think that that could have an impact and I think that if you look at them offensively I liked Grant Wells at Marshall I don't think he's a stud I don't think he's like an NFL quarterback and it's hard it's always somewhat difficult to tell what's conference USA numbers and how that's going to translate to playing in the ACC against ACC defenses but as we've gone over not a lot of good defenses in the ACC Coastal Chip. So I don't know how big of an impact that is really going to be on him if he gets the job. I like him. I've seen When I've seen him play, I've been impressed. He gets a little too loose with the football times, but I think he's got that kind of it factor about him that I think Virginia Tech has lacked somewhat on offense. But that is the biggest question mark to me because offensively, they were pretty bad last year. Like They, they ranked 96th in the nation in, in uh, points per drive. They were even worse in success rate. They could not really run the ball all that well. They definitely couldn't throw it. So it's like, how much improvement are we going to see from them offensively? Because I do think Brent Pry's defense is going to be fine. And I do think we're going to get back to the kind of cultural blueprint that had been Virginia Tech for so long, where they're going to play good defense and they're going to be good on special teams. And offensively, when they're good, they're going to have great seasons. When they're not, they're just going to have good seasons. So if that offense can improve on last year, I think this is a team that can get to seven and five. And I think it finishes seven and five a lot more often than it finishes five and seven. So go Hokies, go over. But seven and five is the cap. Cause that's the thing is I did the, like I'm, I'm rolling through and I'm, I'm picking all these games. I'm trying to remain consistent, not just across the ACC, but even across, you know, all of college football with some of these non-con games as we roll through the series. And I, I came up with seven and five that would suggest I'm telling you to take the over. I would not do that because the wins that I am projecting have very, very small margins. The losses, I feel very comfortable by saying those are not going to be small margins. So this seven and five could flip to five and seven real quick. Mm -hmm. I gave them a win against Boston College at home. That was, you know, contributed to my Boston College pick. Boston College could absolutely go into Lane Stadium and win that game. I gave them a win against West Virginia. West Virginia could go into Lane Stadium and win that game. Uh, you know, going to Liberty. Go heck, like going to ODU. Like Ricky Ronnie has a Monarchs team that was picked, I think, near the, the bottom of the Sun Belt, but then won five out of its last six games at the end of last year. In terms of like overall trajectory and confidence, there's a little bit of like carryover that ODU has that you don't have at Virginia Tech. The personnel is way better, but Virginia Tech's also lost to ODU in recent years. Go call Justin Fuente. It's one of the things that got him in some hot, hot water with the Hokie faithful uh, way back in, I believe, 2018. So... Uh, I'm giving them wins against ODU, BC, Wofford, West Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke, and Liberty, which does get you to seven and five. I'm giving you losses to North Carolina, Pitt, Miami, NC State, and Virginia. But again, it is the losses that I feel the most confident in. I've got this as an over. I've got this at seven and five. But I do see that there's a situation where a few, some bad injury luck or a few bad bounces, this this could be a five and seven team. All that said, I don't think this is a three and nine team. I think four and eight would be a big surprise. It's like we've got this very, very small uh, ceiling and floor distance for the Virginia Tech Hokies right now in year one under Brent Pry. So it's going to be up to uh, that coaching staff and that roster to try and make sure that they end up on the right side of the margins. Yeah. And you mentioned like that Liberty game at the end of the season on the road. Like we also like all their non-con games are in Virginia, but it is a little weird that two of their non-con games are road games against Old Dominion and Liberty. But I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know what to expect from Liberty total this year. I just don't think that that's going to be the same Liberty team we've seen in recent years. Like, I don't think you lose Malik Willis and go to Charlie Brewer and you really maintain what you have. And especially because if you look at Charlie Brewer's injury history, if he gets hurt, like, I don't know what the backup situation there is at the QB spot. So I, I don't think the Flames are going to be nearly as big of a problem as they might have been last year or the year before. Oh, no, that would be definite. 
Like that, mm-hmm. I mean, like that, that loss or losing to Duke, you know, like at Duke, at Liberty, like maybe they're sitting there at the end of the season. Maybe they already got their sixth win and they're just like, oh, yeah, we're good. Or, you know, something, I don't know if sixth win makes sense with the way the math works out, the way that I've got things projected. But you would be looking at those as two automatic W's. And if for some reason they lose focus, then that's where they could maybe get got. And look, as I mentioned, this Virginia Tech roster has had losses against bad teams in recent years. It's it's in that it's not in the culture, but it's at least in the recent history and the recent minds of some of the players who've been there a while. So, um, yeah, I I've got them seven and five. That suggests an over according to the Caesar Sportsbook, but I also recognize how thin the margins are and how quickly that could become a five and seven. How many games are going to win this fall? Three has been how many games the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets have been winning under Jeff Collins. He's been there for three years, and they've gone three and nine each season. We looked at the Yellow Jackets last year, and we even said in our preseason analysis, we think that they will be better even if there's not a big jump in wins. Ah, like they were kind of. A little bit better. So quarterback Jeff Sims um, was never really healthy last year. He only ended up playing in about six or seven games. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is gone off to Alabama now. You know, defensively, some of the best players are, are off to the transfer portal as well. We've had some staff shakeup for Jeff Collins. He, he's leaned on the transfer portal to try and bring in um, some help. But the schedule, as it was last year, and as it is often for Georgia Tech, it's just absolutely brutal. You're lined up with Clemson and Georgia every single gagum season. So they start with Clemson, so at least that one's out of the way. They'll be playing that one uh, in week one. Then they turn around and play Western Carolina. That is, uh, the, uh, that is the alma mater of Jeff Collins. Ole Miss at home at UCF. I mean, if you're trying to get Jeff Collins out of the paint, handing him Georgia – Ole Miss and UCF on your non-conference game is a great way to do it. Uh, from the Atlantic Division, in addition to Clemson, oh, it's just Florida State in Tallahassee. I mean, Tom, the the over/under win total at Caesar Sportsbook is three and a half at mm. minus one fifteen to the over, minus one fifteen to the under. What what do we do here with the Yellow Jackets? That is extremely optimistic, Caesars. <laughs> like I just under I. Here's the real question. Like, what's the over-under on how many games in the season before Jeff Collins is gone? Like, because you look at the start. You mentioned they get Clemson to open the season. Maybe Clemson's offense is still not very good in that game, and they keep from getting blown out too badly. But honestly, how many points is Georgia Tech scoring on Clemson? Are we giving them 10? No, yeah, you, you can maybe give them 10 to 14. But like one of those is special teams or defense. So they're probably going to get their, even if they don't get blown out, it is going to be ugly in that first game. Western Carolina, fine. Ole Miss. Loss. I mean, just like that's a loss at UCF. That's a loss. That's probably a loss. So now we're talking about a one and three start. Then you're going on the road to Pitt. So now maybe you're one and four. And then you come home to face Duke at one and four before you're by on homecoming. Are you firing your coach before homecoming or are you going to let him sit out at homecoming? And if you do let him sit there at homecoming, what happens if he loses at home to Duke? So you you asked that and I hadn't actually played that game yet. So live, I was like, okay, number one, where's the buy? And I was like, okay, it's after October 8th against Duke. And I remembered that Duke and Georgia Tech, by the way, last year was the game that ended the David Cutcliffe era, in my opinion, because Duke had the lead and just blew it. And Georgia Tech was able to, my words, steal the win, and it just ripped the heart out of the Blue Devils, and and things sort of crumbled after that. Remember that Duke team beat both Kansas and Northwestern last year. We'll get to those games coming up in a little bit in terms of the return visit. But Duke can beat Georgia Tech. Don't let Mike Elko walk in to Bobby Dodd Stadium and hand Jeff Collins his fifth loss of the season on October 8th heading into the bye week. That would be that. That would be the game that would end the uh, the Jeff Collins um, the Jeff Collins tenure for sure. 
That's what I'm saying. Like the rumble seat is already very hot. And I don't know if even reaches October based on those first four games. I definitely don't think, I mean, I think the buy is probably the most likely time where you see the change made, but even after the buy, it's not like, like you said, nothing gets easy at any point. There's no stretch of the schedule where you feel like you just relax and take a breath. After you buy, you get Virginia at home, which, okay, not as terrible compared to the other games you're playing. But then you're on the road to Florida State. Then you're on the road to Virginia Tech. Then Miami's coming to town. Then you're back on the road to play North Carolina and Georgia. So you get those home games to start, but then you're finishing with four or five on the road. And like you said at the top, Jameer Gibbs is gone. That's your best player on offense. I don't know what you brought in to be able to replace that for an offense that even with him last year, and you mentioned you know Scott was, Scott was hurt or Sims was hurt, so that, you know, maybe you see some improvement there by having him healthy for the full season. But, man, I just I don't look at this team and see a spot where I'm like, I could feel confident saying this position group is going to be better this year. This part is going to be better. This you know, like coaching position, player, whatever. There's nothing I can look at and say I see signs of legitimate progress that I can count on. And I can see plenty of places where I'm very concerned about getting worse. And then I look at this schedule and it's like we, you said, we mentioned last year, this is a team that might be better and finish with the same record. I don't think this is going to be a team that's better this year. I think it's going to be the same team we saw. I'm going under They're three and nine, maybe two and 10. Yeah, I, I've got it at two and 10. Virginia could be a win. You know, maybe you go and you do uh, beat UCF. I just, I, I see this, I see this situation breaking, uh, like you mentioned. So they do come back from the bye. The Virginia game is on a Thursday night. Then you've got nine days off before the trip to Florida State. Maybe they beat Duke, but then lose to Virginia on a nationally televised Thursday night game. And that ends up being uh, what does it in. I, Jeff Collins has been, um, he came in with a lot of, uh, a lot of buzz. I'm sorry, buzz. No, buzz. <laughs> I'm sorry. He came in with a lot of buzz. He came in with a lot of energy. He was going to, you know, had all these, um, you know, catchphrases and gimmicks. And, and you know, we remember it was the above the line. We don't release a depth chart. We just like release this, uh, this new era. These are the players are, are who are expected to play. And I, I think that because it hasn't resulted in more than three wins yet, and because it does not appear like it will look like more than three wins, he, things have been much, much more subdued. I just, I'm, I can't believe I didn't already bring this up. Yesterday, this is just perfect. All right. I had, I took my car in yesterday to get the oil changed, all that kind of normal stuff. And I'm sitting in the waiting room at the place. And as I'm sitting there, I just hear like this buzz, like a loud, loud buzz. I'm like, what the hell is that noise? And I look over and there's a very large bumblebee that's stuck inside that can't get out. Like it's flying into the window, into the window, into the window. So I, I asked the attendant, I was like, do you have like a cup or something? I'm going to get this thing out. So I go over there. And again, this is, the thing was like this big. It was a giant ass, but it was a bumblebee. So whatever. But I, I get the cup on it. I put the thing in. I take it and I take it outside and I let it go. So it's, I don't know. It probably got eaten by a bird two seconds later. Who knows? But the point is, there's no me around with a cup to free that thing. Georgia Tech is just flying into a glass window over and over again. And it is doomed to die unless somebody else comes and saves it. Who will come save this beloved bumblebee? <laughs> How many games are going to win this fall? And we wrap up the ACC Coastal Division with the Duke Blue Devils. Year one for Mike Elko. And uh, an interesting line about Elko as he comes to take over because he was one of the higher paid coordinators, defensive coordinators in all of college football uh, as when he took the job for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. He's been one of the more you know well-renowned defensive coordinators. He was hired by Notre Dame away from Wake Forest. But the, the line that, that stood out was, don't think of him as the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Think of him as the Notre Dame and Wake Forest defensive coordinator as someone who based on his own experience and based on the time that he spent at smaller programs with Dave Clawson is, is going to be able to uh, be the right fit for Duke. Got a chance to meet him in Charlotte. Uh, I think that he's got a, a good idea of the long-term plan, but guess what? Long-term plan doesn't have much to do with what we got on the schedule here in 2022. And Duke has a win total at the Caesar Sportsbook of three Minus 130 to the over, plus 100 to the under. I mentioned Northwestern and Kansas. 
Duke won both of those games last year. Both of those games were at home last year. They are now both on the road at Northwestern at Kansas. They also are going to play Temple at home. They also play North Carolina A&T at home. When it comes to the breakdown in conference play, they draw Wake Forest from the Atlantic Division. They They draw Boston College from the Atlantic Division. The BC game in Chestnut Hill. Virginia comes to Durham. North Carolina comes to Durham. Virginia Tech comes to Durham. They go on the road to Georgia Tech, Miami, uh, as well as Pitt. So um, Mike Elko stepping in, taking over this Duke team. Uh, what are the expectations with the win total at three? Uh, my expectations aren't very high for year one, although I, I do really like the hire. I think Mike Elko is the kind of hire that Duke should be making. And I think that he's got, you know, if we want to put soccer terms, he's got a project and they're in the first year of the project. And I don't think we're going to see great returns in that very first season because when you think about it like in this is stereotypical but when a defensive coordinator takes over a program you tend to see them go more you know complimentary football and i think at duke where you're not really able to recruit four and five star prospects at the rate other programs can you kind of have to you're kind of shoehorned into that and my concern there is with it when it's complimentary football you want to be able to run the ball take care of the football and then have your defense you know keep you in games but the problem last year with Duke's offense was like they weren't bad. They weren't good, but like they weren't terrible throwing the ball, running the ball. This was one of the worst offenses in the country. Like they were awful. If you look at their rushing EPA per play, they ranked 114th overall EPA. They were even worse. It was just it was it was a very bad thing. So it's like I don't know if they're going to be able to improve enough in the run game in year one to have immediate results. So for me, I think that's going to be one of those things to look at. If they can run the ball well, they might be able to exceed expectations in year one because defensively, Mike Elko's had good defenses where he's gone. I think that he's got smart schemes and I think they're going to be sound there. But when I look at the schedule, I, I, the, the first month of the season is going to decide whether this team goes over. Personally, I, I have it as a yeah, I have it as a push. I think they're beating Temple. I think they're beating North Carolina A&T. And then it's those two road games against Northwestern and Kansas that are really going to decide whether they go over or under. If they win both of those, they're 100% over, obviously. If they lose both of them, I think it's going to be really difficult for them to get two wins in conference. If they split, then you're just looking like, can they get Georgia Tech on the road? Can they get Virginia Tech at home? Can they maybe pull it upset at BC? You know, like I think push is more likely. I lean again. This is another situation where the math, like when I did it with my head and just went through the games, I had them at three at nine. My math has them at 2.8. So it's a slight lean to the under. Duke is really disappointed that Temple decided to fire Rod Carey. Duke would have loved to know that it was Rod Carey uh, leading Temple into Durham for that game. Duke has some experience having faced uh, Northern Illinois led by Rod Carey. Uh, a game that went Duke's way and Duke would have loved to do it. Still, I think that uh, Duke should feel comfortable that Temple can be a win. North Carolina can, A&T can be a win. How about this? Tell me what you think. I think that at Northwestern is a more likely win than at Kansas. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I'll go with, not by much, but yes, I agree. Because the Kansas team that Duke played early last season was not as good as the Kansas team by the end of the season. And yes. the Kansas team that I'm expecting when Duke plays them again will be so much better that it will be a shell-shocking experience for Duke's players if they go into that game thinking like, oh, man, we got these guys last year. This is going to be an easy win. So I've I've got this as an under. Um, push to under where Temple and North Carolina A&T are the definite ones at Northwestern. I've, I've got it currently as a loss. Wouldn't be surprised to flip it to a win. The Georgia Tech game, as we mentioned, on some, not it would be hilarious, but it would be something. It's <laughs> like the Undertaker theme music starts playing as Duke comes rolling into Bobby Dodd yeah. on homecoming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, ultimately, I think this is a push to an under. It was three and a half uh, about a month ago, and, and clearly there were some that looked at the schedule and thought the same uh, going to take an under. But, you know, it will take some time for Duke to be able to be in the position to accomplish the kind of goals that are realistic under Mike Elko this win total does show you that there's going to be a long way to go. But right now there's, it, there, there are comparatively good vibes around the Duke football program. than there are with the win total and with the projections and the expectations of what's going to happen in terms of wins and losses. 
if they're able to get that Temple win, the North Carolina A&T win, and one of Northwestern and Kansas, I think that's a good sign of, of what's to happen. And like, best case scenario, really, when you open up conference play, your first two conference opponents are Virginia and Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Like, there will be losses in the back half of the schedule. But if you can at least get those good vibes rolling early, get a couple wins, then I'm I, I like you. I like the hire, and I, I think that it can they can accomplish good things eventually. But in our so- best soccer terms, it's a project. It's a project. He, he oh sorry, bud notes. Oh yeah, we got we got to make we had to run our bud notes through uh, uh, through the editing so that we don't get flagged as a TV MA over here. Uh, bud on Virginia. Under seven, already played under seven and a half hard. Schedule is tissue soft, but they lost all five starting offensive linemen. Then the top offensive lineman transfer they took went back to Georgetown. Armstrong is a wizard, uh, and but I think they could miss a bowl. Uh, Pitt leaned over, even with the Narduzzi comments, should have the best D in the second best D in the ACC. Offensive line returns everywhere. Uh, Miami lean over, just a lean. North Carolina, no opinion. Dead on. Virginia Tech, dead on. Duke is an over for me. Ooh. Bud's a dookie. Uh, Bud's a dookie. Noted Duke Homer Bud Elliott says, I Cameron think Crazy better Bud on- Elliott. Cameron Crazy <laughs> Bud Elliott says, I think that Duke is better on the lines of scrimmage than people think. Georgia Tech under, but obviously not betting five different futures in one division because they're all related. Uh, the transfers Georgia Tech lost are a big deal. Some chances they get a bump now, four years fully removed from the triple. So Duke over. Take hammer the Duke over, end quote, noted Cameron Crazy Bud Elliott. Mm-hmm. It's our big, big takeaway from the day. Uh, yeah, Grayson will, Allen, that Bud Elliott. He is. Yeah. I good good point. Yeah. Noted Cameron Crazy and Grayson Allen fan Bud Elliott says hammer the Duke over. Uh, we will be back on Thursday with a mailbag episode. You can leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. For, we will add it to the big old bag of mail. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Happy birthday, Mom. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.